Here they come. Right now, they're gathering from hospitals all across America for Talk 10 Tuesday. They know there's important news and information just ahead. Don't miss out. Come in, sit down, and log on. It's Talk 10 Tuesday. Here now is the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, Chuck Buck. Thank you, Clyde Kathy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 340th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday, and brought to you today by Enjoin. And joining me this morning is my co-host and a friend of this broadcast, Holly Louie. Holly is the past president of the Healthcare Business and Management Association. <laughs> Good morning, Holly. Welcome back. Nice to have you here. Good morning, Chuck. Hello, everyone. This morning, we're reporting on a story that continues to unfold and impact thousands and thousands of Americans today. That's right, Chuck. We're talking about Florence that made landfall last week. Florence has since been downgraded to a tropical depression, but now flooding is expected in West Virginia and Ohio. Sharon Easterling, who is in Charlotte, North Carolina, will report on the latest flooding conditions. Plus, she's going to offer some best practices for dealing with natural disasters. And our own Stanley Nockinson returns with his popular Reg Watch segment. That's right. Stan's going to be reporting on the latest health care regulations coming out of Washington. And Dr. Emil Golden reports our lead story. An update on the 2019 inpatient prospective payment system, specifically the major disease category 18. Indeed. We have a great deal of news to report during this broadcast, and we begin this morning with healthcare attorney Nicole Emanuel, who's at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is sponsored by Enjoin, with 30 years of direct physician leadership. Enjoin delivers complete solutions for clinical documentation and integrity across the continuum. Choose the industry experts in coding, documentation integrity, and risk adjustment for value-based care. Enjoin advancing CDI together. Here now is healthcare attorney Nicole Emanuel. Thank you, Chuck. Thanks for letting me be here. Uh, I am coming here to you live from underwater in North Carolina, swimming in the remnants of Florence. Our governor has declared a state of emergency, and this declaration is extremely important to healthcare providers who accept Medicare and Medicaid and are located within a state of emergency. Once a state of emergency is implemented, the 1135 waiver is activated for Medicare and Medicaid providers and remains activated for the duration of the state of emergency. The 1135 waiver allows for exceptions to normal regulatory compliance regulations for providers during a disaster. It's important to note that during the disaster, the state of emergency must be quote-unquote officially declared to activate the 1135 waiver. The waiver requires that Medicare and Medicaid participating providers and suppliers prior to a natural disaster come up with protocol and implement and develop training and testing programs for all different types of disasters, including hurricanes, tornadoes, even viruses. So it's important to come up with these protocols and test and implement these policies before a disaster ever hits. But what kind of things, what kind of services are affected by the 1135 waiver when a disaster does strike? Some examples are as follows. CMS can allow critical access hospitals to exceed the 25-bed limit in order to accept evacuees. CMS can temporarily suspend a pending termination action or denial of payment sanction so as to enable a nursing home to accept evacuees. Normally, critical access hospitals are expected to transfer out patients who require longer admissions 
to hospitals that are better equipped to provide complex services to patients who are more acutely ill. The average length of stay is limited to 96 hours. However, during a natural disaster, the critical access hospital may be granted an 1135 waiver to the 96-hour limit. Another one is that certification for special purpose dialysis facility can be immediate. Relocated transplant candidates who need to lift at a different center can transfer their accumulated waiting time without losing any allocation priority. For home health services, normally the patient must be confined to his or her home. But during a state of emergency, the place of residence may include services provided at a temporary alternative site, such as a family member's home, a shelter, a community facility, a church, or a hotel. A hospital, SNF, or nursing facility would not be considered temporary residence. The 1135 waiver is a bit limited in that you cannot have an IPPS, excluded psychiatric or rehabilitation unit, used for acute patients. This is not allowed under the waiver. However, a hospital could also apply for certification of portions of its facility to act as a nursing facility. Another way the 1135 waiver affects Medicare and Medicaid providers during a state of emergency is if the provider has to change a location. This will be viewed by CMS on a case-by-case basis, but usually you can keep your contract and move locations. In conclusion, when the governor of your state declares a state of emergency, the 1135 waiver is activated for healthcare providers. The 1135 waiver provider exceptions and exclusions to the normal regulatory requirements. It's very important for you to know and understand how the 1135 waiver affects your particular type of service prior to natural disaster ever occurring. Thank you, Chuck. Back to you. Thank you, Nicole, very much. That was Nicole Emanuel. Nicole is a partner at the Potomac Law Group. It's Tuesday, September the 18th, 2018, and the nation is focused on the aftermath of Florence. And you're listening to the 340th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Stand by. Were you previously trained in ICD-10, but you notice some gaps in your training? Would you like to improve your coding skills and knowledge? Or are you having trouble coding advanced cases in ICD-10-CM, ICD-10-PCS, or CPT? If you answered yes to any of these, then we have the workshop for you. AHEMA's Crack the Codes Advanced Coding Workshop walks you through identifying correct codes with actual redacted patient health records. Create your own one- to four-day training schedule by choosing the classification systems that meet your needs and get a thorough review of ICD-10-CM, ICD-10-PCS, or CPT. And don't miss AHEMA's highest-rated face-to-face meeting starting December 6th in Las Vegas. Visit ahema.org events to learn more and to register. Last week, CMS conducted its ICD-10 Coordination Debates Committee meeting. Returning with an update on that meeting is Senior Healthcare Consultant and ICD-10 Monitor Contributor, Lori Johnson. Good morning, Lori. Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, Holly. Last week, I did talk about the Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting, which had just started at 9 o'clock in the morning on September 11th. The meeting included 11 proposals for procedures and 22 for diagnosis. 
four topics were dropped from the tentative diagnosis agenda with 11 topics added. One major change this year was the proposal to delete the seventh character for fetus number from the category 035. The code has been expanded to include the type of anomaly and the, spe and the specific trimester codes have been eliminated. 64 new codes were suggested in this proposal. These codes would be reported if the condition is suspected or confirmed. If the condition is ruled out, a code from category Z03.7 would be assigned. Also proposed is a new category for fetus number. This code would identify the fetus number that is affected by the anomaly. I should mention that the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, and the American Academy of Pediatrics all support these two proposals. As I mentioned in my article this morning, the addenda includes index, body part key, device key, substance key, as well as revisions to the tables for ICD-10 PCS. CMS is requesting public comment on the suggested changes to the root operation revision tables. This proposal includes an option um, of adding terms in the qualifier character to specify an additional substance or device to complete the revision. A second option includes further specification regarding the additional device, for example, intraluminal, extraluminal, autologous tissue, etc. Again, CMS is looking for comments from you. Comments are due by November 13th. The email addresses and the URLs for the meeting replays are in this morning's article. So, Holly, back to you. Thank you, Lori. That was Senior Healthcare Consultant Lori Johnson. Lori is with Revenue Cycle Solutions. As we mentioned at the top of the broadcast, and as you heard from healthcare attorney Nicole Emanuel, the nation's attention is focused on the aftermath of Florence. Reporting live from Charlotte, North Carolina, is Senior Healthcare Consultant Sharon Estrell. Hello, Chuck, and all of our listeners out there. Well, we are still reeling from the effects of Hurricane Florence, and that's in the form of water. And it's affecting many of our residents that live near lakes and streams and rivers. Um, a number of our dams across the state um, have been released, and that includes South Carolina. But there was a recent dam break here in Anson County, and that's going to cause some continued flooding for our folks here. Um, along the interstates, we've had problems around Interstate 95 that started right after the storm, but now we're also experiencing problems around Interstate 40. It actually looks like a lake at this time. Um, a couple of our hospitals within the state are accepting donations for those affected by the storm. So if you would like to make a donation, you can contact some of the health systems across the state and be able to make donation of supplies and other items as delineated by them. Something else that um, I found interesting and very beneficial is that in North Carolina, our regs allow for a temporary increase in bed capacity, and that's up to 10% upon request. So if a provider puts in an a request to increase their bed size, they can be allowed that. 
Also, for North Carolina, Medicaid will reimburse our providers for medically necessary drug services and equipment provided through Florence from 914 through 921. One of the keys to that, though, is to make sure that your documentation meets medical necessity, but it has been allowed. Um, as far as nursing home admissions, the Medicare requirements of a three-day qualifying hospital stay is waived for Medicaid beneficiaries who require a short-term stay in a nursing facility due to care needs or shelter needs, and that's going to be from September 12th through September 26th. Now, something that is very important that um, I recently wrote an article about, and it's going to be published um, for Rack Monitor ICD-10 Tuesday, and it's in the midst of disaster. And in that particular article, I'm referencing access to information. That's something critical that we don't think about enough at the time of disaster. So in that article, there are some links to some very important resources that we can all use to make a personal health record. Now, of course, in a, a storm, that's the last thing we're thinking about lots of times, so be prepared in advance. Go ahead and pair, prepare your health information, especially for our parents and other relatives that are elderly. There are sheets that you can fill out that you can maintain somewhere, somewhere that is water-resistant or damage-resistant. I would recommend preparing that sheet, emailing it to yourself so you can go out and retrieve that sheet when needed in the case of an emergency. And that's all I have today. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. That was Sharon Easterling. Sharon is the CEO of Recovery Analytics, LLC, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Chuck? Thanks, Holly, and thank you very much, Sharon. And you can read Sharon's reporting on this very important subject in today's ICD-10 Monitor E-News. The American Medical Association releases 2019 CPT code set with part two of this developing story is AMA author and senior healthcare consultant Deb Greider. Thank you, Chuck. Good morning, everyone. Well, last week I gave you an overview of some of the general changes in all sections of CPT, but today I'd like to share with you the changes for skin biopsies that will affect many medical specialties as many medical physicians of various specialties perform this service. Physicians will need to document a bit differently to support medical necessity in 2019. So many times when I audit records, I see the term shave excision. That's not good documentation for a biopsy. A shave excision is the removal of the entire lesion via a shave technique, whereas a shave biopsy in 2019 is a tangential biopsy um, in the definition. So physicians need to use to stop using that term excision in their documentation when they are solely performing a biopsy. So currently we have two codes, 11100, and that's a biopsy for the first lesion, 11101 for each additional lesion. In 2019, these two codes have been deleted and replaced with CPG codes 11102 to 11107, and these codes are reported based on method of removal. So let's look at uh, these, these different categories and how they're reported. So the tangential biopsies are 11102 and 11103. That's for the first lesion is 11102. Each additional lesion based on this method of removal 
um, is reported for each additional lesion. So we're talking about a shave biopsy, a scoop biopsy, saucer eyes, or, or curette. So if you have a punch biopsy, you would you report that with 11104 or 11105 for each separate additional lesion. And then we have what we call the incisional biopsy, and the incisional biopsy codes are 11106 and 11107, and the add-on code 11107 is for each additional uh, biopsy. So how would we report these? What if you had a tangential biopsy, a shave biopsy, and you had a punch biopsy um, on different anatomic areas? So you've got a punch biopsy and you've got a shave biopsy, or which is a tangential biopsy. So the first code you would report would be the shave biopsy, the 11102, and then you would report the punch biopsy add-on code, which is the 11105 for each additional lesion biopsy. So your primary code is your first biopsy. Any additional biopsy codes, it's based on type of biopsy. And with all three of these biopsy codes, the uh, simple repair is included as it was with the old codes, the 11100 to 11101. And I know that's a bit confusing, but we have to be careful with our documentation now. So we have to make sure we document the method of removal, the anatomic site, and remember that all excision codes include a biopsy. So reporting a separate biopsy code on the same structure is not appropriate. If an excision is performed, even if the specimen is sent to pathology, report the excision codes, and you report one code per lesion biopsies. So when you have multiple biopsies performed via different methods, you use one primary code, and then you use an add-on code based on the biopsy method for each additional biopsy on the same date of service. And I know that sounds confusing, but it's time for physicians and coders and billers and whoever is working with the practitioners to understand the differences with these types of codes now. And there's an article um, on ICD-10 Monitor this week on biopsy codes, so I've kind of outlined and explained it. Make sure that when you get your code book, you read the guidelines, and you start documenting appropriately for the new codes. Thank you, Deb. That was nationally recognized coding authority, Deb Bergreider. Deb is an AMA author and senior healthcare consultant at Karen Zupko and Associates. Chuck? Thank you, Holly, and thanks very much, Deb. And you can read Deb's reporting on this subject in the IC10 Monitor homepage today. Thanks very much. Not only has Florence been in the national news, but also so has Washington, D.C. Here now with the latest regulatory news coming out of Washington is healthcare IT expert Stanley Nockison with Talk 10 Tuesday's Reg Watch. Good morning, Stanley. Hey, a lot of stuff's coming out of Washington these days. Yes, good morning, Chuck, and I'm here to tell you a little bit of, about it. I think just to expand a little bit about what Nicole and Sharon mentioned, it's important to recognize the Department of Health and Human Services um, also recognized the uh, national emergency, the public health emergency, uh, in uh, the Carolinas and, and, and Virginia. And the Secretary of HHS has determined that the situation is a public health emergency and has the authority to waive a number of requirements for uh, Medicare and some other programs. Uh, I just want to summarize some of them. Uh, these are for Medicare beneficiaries. Uh, again, I believe Sharon mentioned that uh, Medicare SNF care can be provided without a three-day inpatient hospital stay if a beneficiary has been evacuated from a nursing home or discharged from a hospital. 
um, in the emergency room or other locations to provide care to more seriously ill patients or who need sniff care as a result of the emergency, regardless of whether or not that uh, individual was in a hospital or a nursing home. The uh, sniff coverage can be extended without requiring a new spell of illness for certain beneficiaries. Normally, if you... Uh, uh, if you're in a, a sniff uh, a certain amount of time, uh, there's a limitation on that, and then you need a new spell of illness to be readmitted to the sniff. Those will be waived, again, for the extent of the emergency in certain situations. Um, also, there are a number of provider requirements that are being waived to ensure that sufficient health care items and services are available to meet the needs of all the individuals enrolled in the Medicare, Medicaid, and CHIP programs, and to ensure that healthcare providers can, that furnish such items and services in good faith but may not be able to comply with one of these rules will be reimbursed. So a number of conditions of participation, certification requirements, program participation, or similar requirements for individual or institutional providers um, are waived. Requirements that physicians or other healthcare professionals hold licenses in the state in which they provide services, uh, those are waived if those uh, providers have an equivalent license from another state and are not barred from practice in that state. So you can have uh, doctors and others coming in from out of state to help treat patients. A lot of the uh, uh, sections of the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, or EMTALA, uh, for the direction or relocation of an individual to another location to receive medical screening uh, are waived. Some of the sanctions uh, relating to limitations on physician referral are waived, and um, uh, some of the limitations on payments for individuals enrolled in a Medicare Advantage plan uh, not included in the plan's network are waived. So, again, if you're in a Medicare Advantage plan, uh, you can, under the uh, waivers, go to a physician that may not be uh, in that plan's network. So a lot of flexibility in this public health emergency. In addition, uh, some of the HIPAA requirements are waived. The uh, department is waiving sanctions and penalties arising from noncompliance with the requirements to obtain a patient's agreement to speak with family members, the requirements distribute a notice of privacy practices and the patient's right to request privacy restrictions or uh, confidential communications only with respect to hospitals in the designated geographic area. So what, what the department has done is, is enable the treatment uh, for patients in these public health emergencies. Very important. Now for some of the non-emergency things, there's a new Medicare Part D drug policy indication-based formulary design guidance provided by CMS that allows Medicare Part D plan sponsors to tailor which drugs are on their formulary by specific indication. Um, it will give uh, Part D plans additional negotiating leverage with manufacturers that hopefully will reduce beneficiary and program costs. So basically, uh, a, a Medicare Part D plan can say, we'll, we will cover a drug, but only for specific indications, um, and we will not... Uh, cover that drug, even if there are other indications that the FDA has approved. Uh, again, this, this allows for uh, better negotiations and uh, hopefully uh, will uh, reduce uh, drug costs. CMS also just published a proposed rule to lift unnecessary regulations and ease burdens on providers. 
a proposed rule in response to the president's charge to federal agencies to cut red tape and reduce burdensome regulations. This rule uh, proposes, again, to streamline hospital outpatient and ambulatory surgical center requirements for conducting comprehensive medical histories, um, eliminating a duplicative requirement on transplant programs to submit data, and simplifying the ordering process for portable x-rays and modernizing personnel requirements for portable x-ray technologies. Um, again, this is a proposed rule, so please uh, review the rule and send in your comments. Holly, back to you. Thanks for that great update, Stan. That was Stanley Nockinson. Stanley is the founder of Nockinson Advisors, LLC. Chuck? Thanks, Holly, and thank you very much, Stanley. Our lead story this morning is about some of the updates to the 2019 inpatient prospective payment system, specifically major disease category 18. Reporting our lead story this morning is Dr. Emil Golden. Dr. Golden is a physician associate and the medicine lead for Enjoined. Welcome to Talk to Tuesday. Dr. Golden, what should we know about major disease category 18? Thank you, Chuck, and good morning to the listening audience. I am going to make some comments on changes that were finalized in the August publication of the Federal Register. And the first of these is SIRS, the Systemic Inflammatory Response Syndrome, or SIRS, due to a non-infectious cause, can be a coding challenge. SIRS caused by non-infectious conditions occurs in both medical and surgical patients. Coding guidelines prohibit the use of codes R65.10, non-infectious SIRS without organ failure, and R65.11, non-infectious SIRS with organ failure, as principal diagnosis codes. The non-infectious SIRS codes are expected to be coded as a secondary diagnosis to the condition responsible for the non-infectious SIRS. An example would be acute pancreatitis with non-infectious SIRS. Acute pancreatitis would be the principal diagnosis. If the non-infectious SIRS codes are linked to fever, and these are the codes in the R50 range, then fever will be the principal diagnosis. This combination of codes, R50 with non-infectious SIRS, will now group to MSDRG-864. The title for MSDRG-864 will now be Fever and Inflammatory Conditions. The relative weight for this DRG will be 0.8643. This DRG is not associated with a CC or a MCC. Prior to this change, this combination of codes would have grouped to MSDRGs 870, 871, or 872, the DRGs that capture sepsis. I'm a pulmonary critical care doctor, and there are some other changes that I think are important to point out to today's audience. The acute respiratory distress syndrome, also known as ARDS, is a serious complication when it occurs. These patients are critically ill, cared for in an intensive care unit, and oftentimes these patients have a long and expensive hospital stay. ARDS will be a MCC starting in fiscal year 2019. This change aligns with my clinical experience of caring for these critically ill patients. AIDS, or B20, a disease that in the late 1970s and early 1980s was a fatal illness, is now a chronic illness. Advances in antiviral treatment have been life-saving for people around the world. B20 will move from a MCC to a CC beginning in fiscal year 2019. A procedure that may have caused some headaches when attempting to convert documentation into a code is bronchoalveolar lavage, or BAL, a topic that was addressed on Talk 10 Tuesdays in July. A BAL, in my opinion, is a procedure that isolates a segment of lung in order to sample the contents of the alveoli. 
This is considered drainage of the isolated segment or lobe of the lung. This type of drainage is done to obtain material for diagnosis. Drainage of a lobe of the lung has been an OR procedure. However, in fiscal year 2019, DAO will become a non-OR procedure. The PCS codes are drainage of the lung, usually a lobe, via natural or artificial opening endoscopic approach for diagnostic purposes. Thoracoscopic drainage of the pericardial or pleural cavities and extirpation of material from these cavities using a thoracoscopic approach will become OR procedures starting fiscal year 2019. These are video-assisted procedures known as VATS, and this certainly aligns with the risk, complexity, and resource demands of these procedures. And to conclude, portacath placement is a commonly performed procedure. It requires two codes, one for the placement of the access port, usually in the subcutaneous tissues of the anterior chest, tunneling of the catheter to the side of the vein, and a code for access of the vein. This insertion of a totally implantable vascular access port or device will become an OR procedure in fiscal year 2019. Thank you, Dr. Golden. That was Dr. Emil oh. Golden. Dr. Golden is a physician associate in the medicine lead for Enjoin. Check. Thanks, Holly, and thank you very much, Dr. Golden. And we want to thank the good folks at Enjoin for sponsoring today's edition of Talk to Tuesday. Uh, that's going to be a wrap for our 340th edition of this broadcast. And Holly and I want to thank our panelists today, Nicole Lemanuel, Sharon Easterling, Deb Greider, Lori Johnson, Stanley Nockison, and, of course, our special guest, Dr. Emil Golden. And I want to thank you, Holly Louie, for substituting today for Dr. Eric Reamer. And remember, every day can be Tuesday when you listen to Talk to Tuesday on demand, anytime, anywhere, and it's free. You can listen to us on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. And before saying goodbye, Holly and I send our thoughts and prayers to the patients, the providers, and the families impacted by the aftermath of Florence. Until we meet again next Tuesday, thank you very much for joining us, and have a good day, everybody. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.